What's up, guys? We're back with another episode of Unhinged. Thank you for live, laugh, loving us in the reviews. It means the world to us. We have a very special guest for today's episode. Meet Kittens. She's an artist, a DJ, a producer, a philanthropist, and host of She, Her, They, the podcast. I'm so excited to have Kittens on the show today. We chat all things what's happening in Iran and how we can support the crisis. Please head to the description of this week's episode to check out links to resources and ways we can support. Her coming out experience as a first-generation Iranian-American, the most unhinged romance fan fiction she's found of herself online, and her new foray into the restaurant industry. Welcome, kittens. What's up, guys? We have kittens in the house. Hi, I'm so psyched to be here. It's been forever. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you here. A podcast pro. Will you be interviewing me or will I be interviewing you? It's going to be a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Let's start with little Lauren. <laughs> oh my God, little... we're just doing a therapy session. Yeah, we're, we're doing, doing some inner child session. work. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, you grew up in LA. Tell us, mm-hmm. tell us what that was like. Um, so I was born in Whittier, which is like right outside of LA and um, LA City. And then I grew up in East LA County my whole life. But yeah, I, I grew up in the suburbs uh, to divorced parents, one Iranian immigrant dad and one mom from San Francisco that just, you couldn't have more different backgrounds. Um, First generation Iranian American. Yeah, yeah. He came here when he was 18 for school, right before the revolution. Um, but yeah, so I, I grew up in two different households right outside of LA. And um, I feel like I got so many different experiences growing up, which was interesting. I got the very um, kind of strict, like Middle Eastern upbringing of like being modest and everything is about school and grades and nothing else matters. And, you know, Mm -hmm. all these things. And then I got my mom's side, which was so like, what is your passion? Let's do dance class. Let's do karate class. You want to learn instruments? Let's try, let's take every class for an instrument. And you're going to cut your hair and do crazy makeup. Cool. Do that. Be yourself. So I got these differing things and I got a lot of freedom, um, when I was living with my mom during high school. So I would be able to actually, I don't know if this was freedom. I, I definitely was, um, breaking some rules, but (laughs) I would be like, I'm sleeping over so-and-so's house and then be out like dancing at clubs when I was 15 here. So I feel like I, I got got a lot of experience under my belt before I even turned 18. That's a good best of both worlds to have though. Yeah, I I think it was a pretty interesting balance for sure. What's the most unhinged thing you did as a kid? Oh my God. Where do I start? I know. (laughs) Honestly, I think I think about this one a lot because I'm like, this is such like this was probably illegal. I'm sure it was. Um, but my first job was working at the mall in one of those kiosks. And I, I worked at two kiosks. I work at the one with um, selling hair straighteners where like they chase you down and they're like, let me show you something amazing for your hair. I worked mm-hmm. at that one. And then I also worked at one that sold body jewelry and custom bedazzled phones, like sidekicks and stuff. But when I was working at the little hair kiosk, 
I was, this was like peak scene MySpace years. Mm -hmm. So I had the choppy mullet with the razor cut. And so when we were bored, I would cut all the other kiosk girls' hair. I would bring my (laughs) razor and a trash bag and I cut everyone's hair just for fun. But then all these, like, this was in Orange County and all these OC moms would walk by and be like, oh, do you do hair? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I'm 16. (laughs) And they're like, oh, can you do my hair? Can you do my daughter's hair? And I'm like, yeah, meet me in the Nordstrom bathroom in 30 minutes on my lunch break, 40 bucks cash. And I would just go at their hair with a razor. And the yogurt say, it's a great (laughs) spot to get a belly ring. And also (laughs) they're they're looking back at it, Lauren, um, we have to have a conversation. (laughs) I'm like, I'm surprised Nordstrom didn't catch me running, running that little underground business, but that's incredible. Paid for my, my lunches. Did you, as a kid, what was, what, how did you get into nightlife and DJing? Um, God. So when, when I was sneaking out at like 15, 16, 17, whatever, um, my first girlfriend actually, who was, she was a bit older than me and she used to, she was a film student and she would go make the recap videos. Like she would make the recap videos for the club nights out here. And this was like blog house era, like DJ AM, Steve Aoki, like Mm -hmm. all that stuff happening. So she would go to these clubs and they pay her to make the things. And I would just tag along because I wanted to dance. I grew up as a dancer. Dance was always like a huge part of my life. Music was always a huge part of my life. So she'd be working and filming. I'm dancing my ass off, like having a fucking ball. And that was really a time where I started to see DJ culture in a different light. You know, I was really seeing like this incredible exchange of energy and how, how, just how fun it was and how passionate it was. And then, um, and then growing up outside of that, I still would just kind of go anywhere I could to consume music. I was at shows every weekend. I would see bands play. I would be at clubs, like anything I could do to just consume music. And then I started going to this uh, party called Low End Theory, which I don't know if you know about Low End, but that's like, quintessential LA like beat scene it went on for I think it was 11 years 10 11 years and we got some of the most incredible artists out of low end theory which was it was if anyone hasn't been it was a really shit little tiny venue the airliner East LA (laughs) the airliner just looked like it was falling apart but every Wednesday it like people called it church because it was just such an incredible experience and you would have DJs and producers there playing music, playing beats that were like, you wouldn't hear this anywhere else at the time. It and also, we got like, I feel like was the precipice for a sound that yeah. overtook commercial music. Completely. Like this was like, Catronata pro- probably played one of his first shows there. Flying Lotus was playing his first shows there. We had everyone who was inspired by Dilla and Madlib that was just experimenting with making beats, going and playing their beats there and people DJing in a way that was so different. And it was less about party music and more about like artistic selections and artistic mixing. And um, yes, I started going there. And when I saw that and experienced that, I was like, fuck, I'm just like in awe. I wanted to do it. I was scared because I didn't see any girls doing it. And so I, that was a barrier for me. Mm-hmm. So it took me a couple of years to finally just be like, 
all right, I'd made all my friends in that scene. That was kind of like my little world. And somebody was selling a pair of turntables and I was like, all right, let's, let's go. Let's give it a whirl. And so I did. Confession. Yeah. I actually knew of you from that scene before we met. No because way. Because it was such a small insular group of people and there weren't that many women. I yeah. think it was you, Toki Monster. There just weren't that many women associated to that. So yeah. I actually came on a vacation before I moved to LA and I mm-hmm. went to um, Low in Theory and I was like, I hope I see it. <laughs> Oh my God. Cute. Yeah. It was literally like, it was like me, Sam, mm-hmm. Toki, and like, I, I don't even know who else at that time. It was so tiny, tiny, tiny. And now it's like, obviously shit's completely different, which is so cool, but that's so funny. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wow. this is the era of music blogs and pigeons and plants. Just, it was a different yeah. time. Yeah. I miss that. I miss, I miss that. Some- I miss that, but also I like how assess- how much more accessible music is to people now. And I think yeah. coming from a very isolated place, you lived in it. I watched it from afar. And so I see both sides for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because, and I, I don't know if you feel the same way, before things were, at least with blogs, we were getting a lot of blog content and like music sharing through different groups, which was great because it was very curated. But it was also like people are like, look at this tiny, like random ass person I found from wherever that makes these crazy beats. So it wasn't it wasn't about like the biggest artists only. It was people were really finding their like tiny niche selections to share. And I could keep up with it. And now I feel like there is just there's so much fucking new music constantly that it's almost overwhelming to keep up with. And sometimes I find myself kind of sticking to the stuff that I know I like because discovery can be like just this big task now to, to filter through all this stuff or just trust a Spotify algorithm like or a playlist that's just going to be some big artists that you already know. It's just, I don't know. Do you, do you feel the same kind of, or? Definitely filtering through a lot of stuff because what's celebrated in music now, or my perspective of it is this persona of an artist, because we're so caught up with creating content. And I feel as though people spend the energy making content of what music is supposed to be versus actually making music. So then you have to go through and separate the social media artists from who you actually like. And that can be overwhelming. And then that's how we all revert back to catalog streaming because we're just exhausted with Filtering is a really nice word. So I'm going to use that through through the garbage that's, that's there is so much because also it's like people are trying to keep up with so many things I feel like you're you know everyone's trying to be on top of their content and do 97 things to stay relevant or stay Mm -hmm. in the favor of whatever fucking algorithm on whatever platform and then the bit of energy they have to put towards actual music creation is almost so much more pressured and then 
there's so much of it coming out so quickly that it's, mm-hmm. it's I don't know. It's just got a, there's a different, there's a different vibe going on. There is. And much. I do get playing the game because I've seen yeah, how effective to. it can be. But I am nostalgic for music just being music. Yeah. Outside of what yeah, it is totally. now. I think that it's a very interesting time to be first generation Iranian American with everything that's going on in the world. Mm. And I was so excited to have you come on podcast and speak firsthand about one, everything that's going on and how we can all support and be better allies to the situation. It's, it's been a really interesting period of time to process for a million reasons. I found it to be a lot of like complex feelings and thank God for my therapist. Cause I've just been like word vomiting and like crying with her every week about it. But it's, it's interesting to have the Iranian people be humanized because for my entire life, it's been kind of written off as like this backwards Middle Eastern, whatever they're terrorists, whatever, that's just like their country and that's their lifestyle and it's the religion. If you don't like it, get out kind of that thing. And so many people didn't know and still don't know that before the revolution in 1979, Iran was a completely different place. It was way more progressive and on the way to just, you know, progressing even more. Women could wear whatever they wanted. They're wearing makeup. They were really westernized and like their their media, or they were consuming a lot of Western media and culture. And there was a lot more equality. And it essentially flipped overnight like some Handmaid's Tale shit. And it wasn't what anyone signed up for. Like they were... They weren't as happy with certain things going on in the government because it was a monarchy. There was a king, the Shah, and people had their grievances, which like everyone has a problem with their government at some point. But then when they were trying to like switch shit up, all of a sudden the person who comes in to take the Shah's place is this mega radical extremist Islamic leader that was like, all right, guys, it's going to change. And it just took the country back so far, like so, so far um, to what most people now know and associate with Iran of like women having to cover their hair and not being able to get divorced in the right ways and not having control of, you know, fucking anything. Um, So it's been really interesting seeing people care and share and learning more about the history and that this isn't what people want and they're stuck there. They're stuck in this kind of controlled state. Their economy's suffering because of it. Everybody's suffering to some degree. So it's it's cool seeing people care. It is sad and scary because I've never been able to go back. I always wanted to go growing up. My mom was terrified. She's American and this was like, right after the hostage crisis. I was, you know, born around that time. So I've never been able to go. And my dad actually- Did she ever go with your dad? No, no, she didn't go. Um, But my dad actually got home 
a week before the riot started breaking out. Like literally a, a week before. And no. I was, I was, I wanted to go with him every time mm-hmm. he, he goes like every year to just kind of handle business stuff there. And every time I'm like, maybe this is a good year to go. Maybe this is my chance to go. And I, I'm always just like, it's not safe. It's not safe for me as a woman. It's not safe for me as a gay person. It's not, it's just not safe. So it makes me upset seeing how much people are suffering. And then it brings me guilt that I live so freely as a gay Iranian woman here. But then I also have hope because this is never, like things have never gone down like this. This is like another revolution happening. So I'm like, shit, maybe things are going to change. Maybe like they're actually doing it. Oh my God. Um, so it, it's just, it's all, it's all pretty complicated. A lot of like excited, hopeful feelings and a lot of sad dissonance, guilt stuff. But the crazy thing is there's, there's not much we can do other than share because the internet there is so restricted and they, the people there kind of need this global support to keep pushing and know they're not alone. You know what I mean? It seems like that's so, even challenging. Even though it feels kind of... Given that, or from what I've seen, Meta and a lot of social media platforms are censoring and actually taking down content that yeah. is highlighting the crisis. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. It's not surprising. Um, and I do know... It, a lot of people assume that just sharing is pointless, you know, like reposting things is pointless. And to some degree, it feels like you're not doing anything. But the fact is, it is all we can do. And getting awareness out helps. And just making sure people know they're not forgotten about helps. So that's that's kind of that's kind of the extent of it right now. Like there's there's one um, campaign that I know about. And there's a, they're basically just gathering money, uh, fundraising to buy out billboards near like, um, near political spaces so that they can kind of pressure governments and, um, into supporting and just getting awareness out. That's a really brave initiative considering the repercussions we've seen happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so we'll definitely get that link from or links from you to include yeah, in the yeah. episode description. Yeah. And I heard recently there was an athlete who is she still missing? She's or, not missing. They so they, this is the fucked up part. So this um, I'm forgetting her name off top, but she's a, a rock climber. Mm-hmm. And when Iranian athletes that are women or female identified um, compete anywhere, even outside of Iran, they have to keep their their like hijab head covering situation going. And in protest, she took hers off. And I think they were in Singapore. And so she competed with her hair out. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, wow, this is so powerful. Oh my God, her story shared. The next day, she's... Everyone says she's missing and her passport and some other documentation are not with her. They've been withheld. And so everyone's like, fuck, what happened? I I immediately was like, they're trying to make an example out of her. This is not good. This is not good. 
And then the next day we find out they basically tricked her into going back to Iran early under the guise of like, oh, you know, we won't cause any any drama if you just come now, but you have to fork up your passport so we can get you home quickly and safely to avoid government, you know, shit when you get back. They took her straight to jail. The same jail that, I don't know if you saw this last week, is housing activists, journalists, all kinds of creatives, Mm -hmm. and has been on fire. I've seen, yes. She's there. They took her straight there. So she's chilling in that jail now. And And the craziest thing about that jail is they tried to position it in the media that all these fires were set from the inside, which logistically seems pretty impossible if you look at it. Yeah, no. Like, why would the inmates be setting themselves on fire in there? And how would they have access to even do that? Literally. It's, It's just, it's all bullshit propaganda. And I don't know who's buying it, but... The fact of the matter is like my dad's, you know, super on top of it. So I'm always like getting the inside scoop from him. But right now they're having a lot of trouble because, I mean, the the government there is having trouble Mm -hmm. because this isn't like one group that is revolting. This is Mm -hmm. everybody, everywhere, every city. It doesn't matter like what background they're from or they're not from one association that they can go like get that organization and shut them down. It's fucking everybody. There's little girls in school protesting like they they can't get everyone you know Mm -hmm. so it's just wild it seems a revolution is happening yeah yeah for sure because it's gone from like people are protesting and demonstrating to uprising to revolution so we'll see we'll see what comes from it i just i hope it really changes and i hope whatever interventions happen from the outside are going to make, sh- make sure that the Iranian people are safe. Cause it's just fucking scary. It's also fucked up to say it's hopeful that there is some level of accountability with protesters who have suspiciously died. And hopefully from that, they learn that that's not something that they can get away with. Mm-hmm. It's such a difficult thing to say that it's a good thing when, you know, we've seen young women and kids go missing or mysteriously disappear and the autopsy doesn't match up to the police reporting. Yeah. But yeah. that's almost a positive happening from a really terrible situation that they're being held accountable and they can't really get away with what has been happening in the past because of how many eyes there are on the situation. Exactly. And that, that comes back to why it's so important to just keep sharing what's going on, even if it feels meaningless to post something on your story or repost something on Twitter, like it, it helps. It's, it's doing something. It's doing mm-hmm. something. And that's, that's better than nothing at this point, for sure. And also but, outside of the trendy news cycle. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm just glad people are still talking about it. It's been a month, you know, there's still Mm -hmm. protests happening in every city. There's another, I think it's like a day of solidarity protest thing happening globally again. I think it's this weekend. Um, which that is, that is also nuts to me because this is a women's movement. There are so many fucking men out here. I literally makes me so emotional. Every, every one of the protests I've been to or videos I've seen, there's men out here fighting for women's rights. And there's almost more men than women sometimes in the streets. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, like, they should is, be. Exactly. But like we never here, whenever, when women's rights were taken away for abortion and all all these other terrible things that happen, it's kind of like the people talking about it are just women and it's in a vacuum and you get a random guy here or there being concerned. But for the most part, it's women fighting for women's rights across the globe. And now we have men pouring out into the streets and it's just, it's really remarkable. You mentioned something earlier about being unable to return and being unable to return as a gay woman. Mm-hmm. How has your upbringing and your family been receptive to your coming out experience? It was a little different. <laughs> It was a, it was a long, long, long road, um, with my Iranian side of the family. Um, my mom knew I came out to her when I was 15 and it was just kind of like, she called it out. She's like, that's not just your friend, is it? And I was like, no, I'm in love with her. (laughs) Wait, can we Um, rewind? When did you come out to yourself? When I was 15, I had no fucking clue before, not a clue. I was just like, why don't I like making out with boys or care? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know. And then I met my first girlfriend and I just knew I was kind of like obsessed with her. Even before anything happened, I was just, I knew she was gay and I was obsessed with her. And then, um, and then we started hanging out more and then we ended up kissing and it was like a light bulb moment. And all of a sudden, all this stuff from my past suddenly made sense. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) okay, I get it now. Um, and then I I was living with my mom full time at the time. And so my girlfriend would come over and we were just friends at that time. And my mom was like, nah, (laughs) something's afoot. Um, but yeah, she was chill. It was, it was just like normal mom dating concerns. Like this person's a little older than you, or like, are they a good influence? Like she wasn't really, it wasn't about me being gay. That was never a problem. There was the, you know, is it, do you think it's a phase? Do you want to talk to someone about it? Like normal, fair questions. Mm -hmm. My dad took quite a while. um, And I think it was more so because we have a a, culturally number one, but just our family number two is very private. We, even if I was dating boys, we wouldn't talk about it. You know, Mm it's just like, you kind of just don't. Um, But yeah, he, he found out and it just, it took a it took a while and that was hard for me to not feel kind of embraced and accepted at first for a long time felt kind of like a don't ask don't tell situation 
And it wasn't actually until my, uh, my girlfriend now where things really shifted because for so long I had these really like short lived or toxic relationships. And there were people that I, I didn't want to introduce to my dad or I didn't, it didn't make sense to, because it wasn't like, it just didn't make sense to at the time. And then when my girlfriend came into my life, I was like, oh, this feels different. This is healthy. And this is someone I'd, I'd love my dad to get to know. And I'd love for her to be able to come to family events with me. And it, there wasn't anything wrong with it. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, this is, this is my person and she should be able to come around. And so that just, that changed things a bit and it made it a bit more real to him. And because he had never seen me with somebody. And now it's like, she comes to Persian New Year at the house and she's, you know, she's always over there. And like, it's normal. It's just, she gets to hang out with my family. And that's just like, I never thought it would have that. So it took a long time, but we got there finally. So for anyone that's having a hard time, like don't lose hope. That's, honestly very inspiring I think for a lot of women or people in communities where as women there's such a different expectation and stereotype to Mm -hmm. what the men go through yeah yeah it goes back to what you said about even just not bringing even if it was a, a boy around right but there's less asking how do you feel what, let's talk about feelings. Let's talk about emotions. Let's talk, you know, like that stuff doesn't happen as much in that culture, especially not with a father figure. Like they're not talking to their daughters about no you know, way. their crushes. Like that's not no happening. Way. Yeah. No, absolutely not. That actually was, you know, un- Unhinged has evolved outside of love, sex, and dating. We do still love to talk about it. But that was born from the lack of conversation. I felt as a South Asian woman Mm. happened within actually almost all the communities outside of Caucasian because there was no birds and bees chat. It didn't matter how you identified. It didn't matter what your preference was. It was wait until you get married. And and figure it out. Good luck. Exactly. Until you're a good wife. We'll mm-hmm. teach you how to cook though. We'll teach you how to sew exactly. and keep your husband happy, but that's, a, that's about all you get. Unhinged yeah. tea and reveal that mm. I actually was there for the day you met your current partner. I know. That's so <laughs> funny. I still can't get over that. That was such a cute day. A very cute day. Did you know in that moment or... How, like, talk us through the meeting. So I was, um, I was teaching one of my DJ workshops, which I do a series of, which I haven't done since COVID, which is such a bummer. So I'm really excited to get this going again. Which was actually a question submitted by a few people on when will power workshops return? Um, hopefully early next year. It's just now, now that it's a bit safer to gather in person like that. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Cause virtually it's just not the same experience. Mm -mm. But so 
Basically, Power is a series of workshops I do where I teach women and LGBTQ people how to DJ for a day. It's a little fun, you know, few hour workshop. And then all the money we raise from ticket sales gets donated to a local shelter, whether it's an LGBT youth center or a women's center. And it's just fun. It's just a fun day and everything's provided equipment, whatnot. So people can kind of get past that. Can I do this? Will I like this scary thing? Um, So yeah, you just, you get to learn and see if you like it enough to keep continuing. It's extremely fun. I've been to one of them. (laughs) Yeah, they're super fun. And it's just like people get to meet and you get to meet new people. And it's just, it's really, it's such a nice environment. It's a great environment um, to learn a new skill in because there's no expect, everyone's just having a good time and there's no expectation to nail it or be perfect or get it right. Totally. Totally. And that was the whole point because I used to teach DJ classes when I was like, just trying to make ends meet still and just getting started touring. And I I would teach co-ed classes and I noticed such a huge difference between how men and women were learning something like the energy they brought in. And it, it just, it wasn't the right environment. I'm like, I want girls to feel safe. I want people who are not like straight little boys kind of Mm -hmm. like that ego coming in to learning something new. It just throws off, it throws off the vibe. So yeah, it's just, it's a nice safe space where everyone's starting something new. Everyone's going to suck you're going to suck at something new. You've never done this before. Of course you're going to suck and that's okay to suck and you're going to suck together and it's going to be fun. But I had, um, I had just actually, you, you were there for this too. When I dated somebody who was kind of a like scammer liar. I crushed your breakup. Thank God. Thank God. That is actually unhinged. (laughs) I I didn't crash it. I broke into your room with my dog who was oh running. There's, let me set the scene. A breakup oh is happening. You can imagine the mood. It's not great. At a hotel in a at different a hotel, city. At a hotel where the power had gone out. So in, in stuffy, sticky, hot Miami where the power <laughs> had gone out. I, I barge into the room. I make myself comfortable. I'm lying on the bed. Soy is running around everywhere. They're in the middle of a breakup. I literally was texting you like, it's not going well. It's bad. Like help. (laughs) Oh, I came to rescue you. Okay. (laughs) That was so fucking uncomfortable. It was so uncomfortable. But so I broke up with this person who I had found out was lying about like where they worked, where they lived, like everything was a lie. And I was like, what the fuck? And they were, we weren't lived in different cities. So like they were able to get away with lie a little bit easier. So it took me, took me a couple months to put the pieces together. Um, cause normally I'm not that dumb, but so I broke up with this person and I was like, I'm never fucking dating again. I'm Mm -hmm. good. I'm I'm done. Like trusting people, not going to fucking happen. And so this was literally like two weeks later, I have my workshop in New York and my friend, one of my best friends who lived there, she's like, Hey, you know, she had shared the flyer, um, just about the, the event. And she's like, Hey, um, one of my friends wants to come to the workshop. Can you make sure she gets in? Cause we get submissions and I, I read through and select who can come. And 
I was like, yeah, sure. Like, just, you know, give me your name, whatever. And she's like, I think you'd be into her. And I was like, I think I'm never fucking dating anyone again. So it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, but like, I think you guys would vibe, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, you know, unfortunate timing, but she can still come. So then day workshop comes around and Ash, my girlfriend walks in and I was like, I immediately knew it was her. And I was like, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I want to, maybe I want to hang out. Maybe I want to just like hang out with this person. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe I want to hang out though. Maybe I'm open to things. And then like throughout the workshop, I I felt like such a little like kindergarten ass kid who like picks on (laughs) a person they like, because I I didn't have that much time to talk. And so I would just kind of be like, why are you so stiff when she was trying to learn how to mix? But also very Uh, hot because you're in your element doing what you love and what you're really good at. Yeah. I felt felt like in control. Yeah. Yeah. I felt in control of the vibe and and the moment. So I was just kind of like teasing her a little bit. And then my friend who kind of mentioned her to me came and was like hanging out too at the event. And I don't know, there was just a little vibe going on. And so after we all, like a bunch of us went to get food and Ash came along and I was just flirting, whatever. And she walked me and my friend back to the apartment. And I was like, can I get your number? And she was, or did she ask me? I forget. I think she asked me if I wanted to hang out again. I forget. There was some, some, some discussion around hanging out again. And I was like, I already have your number and information from the workshop. So I'll hit you up. And (laughs) so I, (laughs) I texted her and then she FaceTimed me immediately. And then we proceeded to have a five day date. No. Our first date. Lesbian. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Literally it was like, first date and then we hang out like I spent the night and I see like every single day and I lied about having to extend my trip so I could see her for more days no (laughs) yeah I was like oh I have I have a meeting so I have to actually stay a couple more days bullshit and and yeah then I I flew back out to New York two weeks later because I was obsessed with her and it's been three and a half years now wow congratulations so crazy. I love so the way crazy. you share your relationship online. It's it's a hard thing to to balance, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's Tough. some yeah. There's I, I'm sure you've seen. I mean, we've we've all seen people who sh- overshare, and everybody becomes invested and involved in their relationship in an mm-hmm. unhealthy way, and that's so scary because relationships are already hard. And then you're factoring in external shit and external energy and pressure to to share more and act like everything's fine all the time. It's just, it's rough. You also open yourself up to everybody's opinion and everybody's two cents on how you should do something. People feeling entitled to know everything because they know some of it. It's tricky. Yeah. How, how, how was that for you? Cause your, your relationship has been a fucking whirlwind. Like we need to talk about that. Cause I, I've, I've been there through all of your, your <laughs> dating stuff over the years. And all of a sudden I'm oh, like, yes, you have. <laughs> I'm like, wait, we're, 
we're pregnant, engaged, and married, and have a house not within a year. Like, what the fuck? When you know, you know. Yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool to see that. And the way you shared it has also been very interesting because it's like you'll decide to say, "Hey, we got married a few (laughs) months ago," like after the fact, (laughs) or like surprise, there's a baby. Like it's it's been not not linear. Mm-hmm. which I think keeps things really safe. It's like it's a way to protect It's also things. easy because he's not on social media. Yeah. Which helps. I think it's yeah. harder to manage when you're both online and sharing your life because then you have to neg- navigate what's mutually agreed on to be shared, what's, you know, yeah. and I don't yeah. really, I consider his feelings, obviously, because I know what he's comfortable with and what he isn't yeah but I never have to do that double check of are we posting this now are we doing this later because he's just not posting anything yeah I mean that's it's it's so much easier to not have to worry and also having to worry about like are your followers gonna think this is weird if I share this and like just there's a there's just a weird weird level of involvement and crossover that can happen that you have to be aware of like Ash, Ash is not super, she posts like memes on her stories. Like Ash isn't super active on social like that either. She's got a normal job during the day and mm-hmm. just doesn't have to fuss. With I would also say comparatively presence. to your past partners for sure. Yeah. Way less online because of course yeah. I research every guest that comes into the show. And yeah. there's an astounding amount of one submitted questions and two forums and weird fan fiction on your dating life. I've never yeah. seen anything like it, honestly. The f- I ha- in the past, I would read the little forums because I'm like, it was so interesting and weird mm-hmm. to ha- to see how people are perceiving you. And then it started getting really unhealthy and scary. And I was like, this is not good for my mental health. <laughs> and so I was like, I am blocking this from my life. Like, I can't, I can't look at this shit. So I'm proud of you. That's hard to do. It's like a car crash, you know, yeah. you don't. Yeah, and I'm so nosy. Mm-hmm. I'm the nosiest person ever. I want to know everything about everything. And so to, to choose to not look at stuff about yourself, that was hard, but I did it. <laughs> And you also own the narrative a lot, which I like. Like you posted a TikTok with one of your exes and you were like, we're friends. And I think you do it in a cheeky way where you are sharing and you're acknowledging certain things, but not necessarily putting every single thing out there. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's, I don't know. I mean, it it is a, a like lesbian stereotype to be friends with your exes. For a million reasons, I'm friends with like a good handful of people that I dated in the past. And like some of them have been in my life over 10 years and I don't see anything wrong with it because I think if you can evolve, if you can evolve your relationship and you're like, you know what, I, we really bonded and we really, we connected for this reason and we might've just gotten it wrong. We weren't supposed to be romantic. We were supposed to be friends. You're mature enough and, and healed enough to evolve that into a friendship. And then you have this like cool bond because you shared such intimate moments, but then you're friends now. 
Mm-hmm. Like Ruby will come hang out with me and Ash. Like we can all hang out and it's like not weird. Or like me and Demi and Ash have all hung out. Like it's not weird. That's so and nice. It's such a beautiful mindset. Yeah. It's, I, and I know people think it's weird. Um, no, I think it's an evolved thinking that love can shift because yeah. it doesn't go anywhere. You just, it becomes a different thing. Yeah. And, and not everybody's no on the harmed, level to understand that. Yeah. I think also too, like, I think there's a, I think it's a certain level of, of healing that comes from forgiveness for me. And it's something that I seek with everyone except that scammer that lied to me, but everyone else, <laughs> I'm like, I will feel better personally in my healing process if I can forgive and move forward if somebody has wronged me. I just feel better about it. I need that for myself. Some people are like cut off, never talk to them again. They're fucking dead to me. That feels so gross in my soul. Like it just feels yucky unless that person's done something unforgivable, but I don't know. Are you, are you friends with any of your exes? All but one that you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because for me, it's never really a breakup because I think they're a terrible person or you know, I still respect them. I still love them. It's in a different way. There's no bad blood and there's no... Things just evolved. Yeah, things have evolved. And, you know, it's a friendship that's respect. It's respectful to the boundaries my partner's comfortable with. So yeah, do I speak to them every day? No. Yeah. There isn't a need for me to speak to them every day, but we're, we're all friends and on good terms and, you yeah, know. You're cool. We're cool, but um, yeah. I want to know what the most unhinged thing you've read about yourself online, because I li- I read a lot of crazy things in the lead up to oh, this interview. God, I oh my god, I I literally have no idea. What's the most unhinged thing you read about me? <laughs> I Just can't all even the or thi- the thing you're like, where did they even get that from? Because it's so far from the truth. I think the unhinged thing is the fan fiction. Like I noticed people would start to write fake stories under like rumors or it it just became like a very confused, blurred lines of reality and truth, which is quite scary. That's fucking, yeah, that's weird. That's definitely weird. Fanfic in general, I'm like, you guys are pushing it. I think- I think the the most unhinged thing is just, it's something a lot of people do in general. And it's not knowing all the facts because you're not in a relationship or you're Mm not this person. Like you're not their friend. You don't know them. You don't know their life. And people will just be like, they'll they'll form an entire story around Mm. one Instagram comment. The, it's a whole story. There's, there's all, all these deep nuanced things that they're just like writing out. And I'm like, how the fuck do you think you know this? It's so weird. It's so weird. Or mm-hmm. thinking that they know all the ins and the outs of a relationship that is shared so like sparsely or, or privately, even, even some of my, I mean, honestly, most of my relationships, even with the more like well-known people, we kept really private, either like didn't confirm it publicly or like they we just weren't super open on social media 
-hmm. And people still were like filling the gaps with all these narratives and assumptions. And it was just fucking weird. It was weird and scary and weird. Or the expectation you'll forever need to have a public opinion on everything that person does forevermore. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, do we not have a life? Like, how are Mm. you, how are you caring about this? How are you caring about like monitoring all these random things in my life? Or I think one thing that I've seen a lot in the, just in the fan sphere is a lack of understanding of where, um, how people's careers work. Because like, especially since COVID and everything changed, like I'm not touring like I used to. I used to be on the road a lot. And now I work much less in that way, but I still make a a good living doing Mm -hmm. what I do. And I see people really kind of basing value and success off of how busy somebody seems to them Mm -hmm. like oh you're not on the road every day you must be doing really bad and I'm like no I'm doing fucking great and and I own my time it's really nice also guys you lose a lot of money touring yeah (laughs) I don't literally break that to you (laughs) touring is the least glamorous and like for the most part unless you're some mega huge artist Mm -hmm. it's it's not the most like lucrative thing you can do in your career it's you lose money your mental health suffers mm-hmm. you're struggling you're tired you're Especially rushing into like now with this like bottleneck of everybody returning to touring yeah you're competing with all the major 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 artists yeah it's difficult yeah it's just you have to be more picky about what you do if you can be um but I don't know it's just it's a different time and I think also at this point in my life, I feel like my career is evolving and I'm really grateful for that. I'm able mm-hmm. to like work on my podcast. I'm I'm opening a restaurant um, in a few months. That's like, Yay. that's a whole fun, new, I never thought I would do that kind of thing. And like all these other projects and I'm working on music more and it's just, I don't know. It's, it's nice. And people just don't know all of that because I'm not chronically online sharing mm-hmm. every little fucking tidbit of my life. Cause I don't have to, and no one's entitled to see that anyways. And you went to Paris for the first time. I did. Mm-hmm. I hadn't, the fact that I never, I, can't I never went to literally it's like, it's been a thing. Cause I, I, I went to, or I studied French in high school. I was in French club. I was taking French classes for like middle school through high school. That was my shit. Every single, I've, I've had, I can't even count how many trips to France I had planned that fell through last minute. Whether it was, I was going to go with my school, but then like the cost was too bad or, you know, not reasonable last minute, or I was going to go with somebody and then, you know, work came up, another thing came up, like all these things that kept getting canceled to the point where I was like, you know what? The universe doesn't want me to go like this. And mm-hmm. I know when I'm meant to go, it's because I'm meant to go under really beautiful circumstances. And did you ever? I, f- I couldn't have asked for fucking more. And I went three times within like four months after not going my whole life. Amazing. Like. In elite not. style, might I add. Yeah. I'm like, I, I feel spoiled now. I feel spoiled. <laughs> and you went to Disneyland there, right? Yeah, yeah. We so me and my girlfriend love love Disneyland. I love I just 
I grew up going to Disneyland. It's mm-hmm. my like, I can shut off from the world kind of place. What's a Disneyland hack that people don't know? Ooh, that I want to actually share and not right? spoil. Um, <laughs> go, go on a Tuesday, go on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and plan your day around when kids get tired because usually Ooh. families will come early and they'll bring all their kids. And then by like lunchtime, they're tapped out and having nap vibes. Right. So you get, you get a good chunk of like less busyness because they're chilling. And then most of them leave by a certain time as well. So you can kind of plan your, plan your shit around that. Mm-hmm. Do you do um, the also stay? Also a locker. A stay? Like, you, you know, people go and they go stay there and. Oh, no. 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 The, the Disneyland hotels are a fucking scam. I'm sorry. They're like a thousand dollars a night for yeah. the most shit room. It's like, it's so dumb. It's not worth it whatsoever. Like I would rather stay anywhere else. Also, if there is a gay day, which I did not know until you posted about it. Yeah, yeah. So they've they've been doing this for like 20 some years. Which is interesting because Disney is not, that's not what you would think. Or Disney does not have the best history of being open and accepting. Yeah, it's. So the way Gay Days works is it's not an officially organized Disney event. It's organized by a separate group. And it was kind of a like, let's all get together and go to Disneyland together and be gay and kind of do a gay takeover. It's kind of a nice fuck you to them as well. Yeah. But then (laughs) it became a thing. And so now it's known. And it used to always be the weekend of my birthday. No. Yes. And this is the first year they changed it, which is why I was surprised because we showed up in, in September. It's usually in October. And I was like, oh my God, it's gay days. Fuck. They have like merch and everything. Um, Very but cool. Disney sells like rainbowy special snacks and merch and whatnot during that week. So it's cute. Wow. It's really cute. I love that. Yeah. Have you you're gone to Disneyland of, You're the queen of activities. I have to say. I, just, I love you're an activity. You're always doing something. Theme. Fun. Love an activity, love a theme. Picky. I'm like, where is she? How does she have this much, this much time and energy knowing her workload? Honestly, it, a lot of it is because of my relationship, because Ash has a similar kind of like joy and hunger for childlike, innocent fun activities like we love animals so much we're like can we go to a petting zoo Mm -hmm. is there an animal that we can go hang out with can we go to a farm can we go to disney can we go to a theme park can we go somewhere themed like just any activity that's really like innocent and simple like a simple joy we just like doing that so it's fun being with somebody who's down like that because then we kind of do do more i've got a partner in crime for it what's the most unhinged activity you enjoy doing together I don't know if it's an activity we we do more than once, but the most was definitely going to an ostrich farm. Like, <laughs> and it was unplanned. We were driving, we were Casual. driving home. Yeah, we were driving home from the Madonna Inn mm-hmm. and we were going into Solvang, which is this little like Dutch town that's got windmills. It's just really cute. And we're driving and anytime we see animals on the side of the road, like anywhere, it could be a dusty rat. It could be a cute cow in the hill. Like we're going to be like, oh, hi, cute. 
and we we look and we see and think it's a cow and then we're both like is that a fucking ostrich <laughs> and then all of a sudden we see this big sign saying like ostrich land usa no whip yo she whipped that car around so fucking fast and we're like we have to go we have to do this you're definitely just- meant to be by the way <laughs> that's not everybody's not response to ostrich land usa <laughs> <laughs> literally almost get an accident because we have to go see the ostrich and we were able to like feed them and it was just it was so so funny they're really scary but they're funny the other question that made me really laugh that was submitted was that people want to know how the saxophone is going I didn't even know you played okay so (laughs) I was like every day I learn more and more about about her new things so not a saxophone it's a trumpet trumpet sorry trumpet it's not going um at all <laughs> I, <laughs> I've always wanted to learn how to play trumpet because I, I grew up really loving like grew up on jazz music and then had a major ska phase I'm like I want to learn how to play trumpet it makes me so happy I have the most weak lungs and I didn't know until I bought a trumpet like really I have asthma and I could not get one single sound out. I couldn't do no, it. And then I just yeah. felt like a failure. Could not do it. It's so hard. It's so it, fucking hard. It's very hard. So where's the trumpet now? In my closet. Sad. I know. Maybe I'll give it another go. I feel like I need a like, I need an actual like trumpet lesson by a professional. Oh, maybe you need another horn instrument. That's not. Maybe. Are there like lighter ones that aren't as breath required I don't know another woodwind yeah um maybe like a maybe a sax would be easier or or a flute perhaps a clarinet flute. maybe I don't know Record, it's not the bring same out the but... recorder. no it's not the same I don't know you you play a few instruments don't you no I used to back in the day and mm-hmm. it's humbling experience now when you think you can get back on immediately and you're like no I can't Oh, I miss, no. I studied it at college because I actually went to school for jazz. And yeah, yeah, which I like, that's so cool. It's cool now. <laughs> it was not cool back then, you know? Oh, no, people um, are giving you shit. Yeah, it, it's, it's like a really dorky, male-dominated, nerdy <laughs> world. Um that I think social media has made a little cooler. Yeah. But back in the day, it was not glamorous. Was not. Um, and when I watched that movie Whiplash, I had very bad PSTD. Wh- whiplash? What is this? Is it called Whiplash? Movie? It's this movie about these kids at a jazz school and like basically like they work to the bone and it's just very like intense and stressful and they're putting in crazy hours I'm like oh yeah I feel like I block that all out mm, um I don't think I've seen but that. I do want to get a piano for this house and we eventually oh, yeah. get to that point but we're up like 55 or 60 steps so oh I yeah. don't know if that's possible but it would be I nice mean, not oh, for you to carry it but yeah uh-huh. get some movers yeah get a piano like a mover. nice like mid-century style keyboard that I can just yeah, that's cute. You know, get back into things. But music-wise, speaking of music, what's coming up mm. for you? I'm just working on stuff. 
mm-hmm. no, no solid plans of, you know, like nothing's done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been an interesting year because I think I really shifted my focus around what I want to make, which is cool. Like before, like pre-COVID when I was touring all the time, I was playing like a lot of big festivals and like electronic stuff. And I sort of fell into like playing what I thought people would respond to, which they did. Mm-hmm. But then it turned into me not playing stuff that I liked myself as much. Like I didn't want to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And then I was trying to make stuff that I thought would work in those rooms. And then I also, I just hate, hated that because I wasn't connected to it. It didn't make me feel anything that I wanted to feel. So I really just took the pressure off of that. And now I'm just kind of like, making stuff that I enjoy listening to and enjoy making as I'm or enjoy listening to as I'm making it and can listen to it in my car and be like, this is cool. This is, it's nice to actually be able to listen to something I made and enjoy it. For sure. Plus you've played all the big festivals. Yeah. I got, I got those out of the way. Coachella. Yeah. What's up on hard fest? Yep. I've done hard, hard summer, hard day of the dead. I've done the Vegas residencies. I've done all all the things, which I mean, I would love to do them again. Of course. But But also now you're not like, I need to get, do this thing to get there. It's like, I've done that now. Okay. What's my next? What am I doing for me? Mm -hmm. And the restaurant sounds very cool, by the way. Yeah. I'm so excited for that. I like, I just want to have, I, I'm, I'm so annoying with my, my partner about it, but I'm like, can we have a businesswoman special? Like, yes. I mean, Michelle's high school reunion. I'm like, mm-hmm. I need a bit businesswoman special. And can I curate it? Like, please, God, we need that. Just, just so I can have a laugh. But Can we have any mm-hmm. details on where it is? And yeah, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, we've already done a couple press releases for it. So it's called Hudson House. And it's off sunset, like directly across from Soho House. Oh, wow. Great location. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like right there when sunset's like curving. Um, But it's like elevated American vibes and kind of East Coasty fusion. So we've got like oysters and stuff like that. You can get like a really nice burger and a lobster roll and the salad and like all those types of things. And it's going to be really cute inside. And I'm just so excited. Yay. How did this opportunity come about? That's Neat. So random. Yeah. yeah. Um, so before I started DJing full time and was like self-employed, I worked at a club called Dre's in Hollywood. Oh, so I, I was work went there. You went? Yeah. Oh my god. Dre's was a, it was it was a thing for a mm-hmm. while. It was a big thing. And Vegas. So yeah. So I, I so funny because I full circle ended up having a residency at Dre's in Vegas. Oh, that must have been nice. Yeah. I was like, oh, God, because I, I I was in college and I was working as I started as a personal assistant for the marketing director. And then I became a marketing assistant. And then I became the talent buyer and kind of like oversaw everything music and DJ related. Um. And I was DJing at Dre's while I was working there. So it was, it was this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But when I was helping, you know, run all of the talent buying stuff and music booking, whatnot, um, I became good friends with all of the other managers there. And one of them, I've 
stayed really good friends with him. And ever since he stopped working at Dre's, he opened a few of his own venues from restaurants to clubs. And, um, and now he's the, I think he's like the director of operations or something like that for this hospitality group that is run out of Texas. Like they they have a ton of restaurants in Texas that are really successful. And so they're expanding to Los Angeles. So we've got, um, there's also going to be another restaurant called Drake's that's opening. And then we're looking for some other properties as well. Um, but I was just talking to him and I was like, I'm, I'm a like, not, I don't know if I'm scared, but I just, I like saving. I like knowing mm-hmm. that I have enough money saved to just, it just, in case shit hits the fan, I'm good. And I like, don't have to worry about anything. So also Im- like immigrant first generation mentality. Yeah. Like, like I'm that's frugal and I'm a saver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was talking to him about, you know, all these things, like I want to buy a house and this and that. And I, I know I should invest my money, but I don't know, like, I'm scared to invest and just like, what in the stock market? I don't fucking know. I'm like, it's safer with me. (laughs) I'll just Mm -hmm. keep it here. And, um, he was like, Lauren, what the fuck? And so when he told me like, listen, we're opening up these locations in LA, I want to bring you on as a strategic partner because I'm like, you know, he knows, I know people, I know nightlife here. I know hospitality here. And I don't know. It just made sense. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, let's get you in. And it's like, it's going to be good and fine, but just to comfort your fears, I will personally guarantee it. So if shit hits the fan and for whatever reason, it doesn't work out, I will pay you back your investment. Please just do this. No And I was way. like, I was like, all right, that's yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. So he was just, it was somebody that was looking out for me and made it really like easy. And so it'll be my first thing. I'm just dabbling. And if it goes well, then I'll maybe I'll get more into other restaurant options. I don't know. We'll see. Very cool. Do you get to have uh, your name on the menu in any way? I don't, I don't think so, but like, I really want to have a secret menu item. Of course. Whether it's like, yeah, I'm like, can I have like? I'm gonna, I'm gonna push for it. It's What's happen. an unhinged food item you love that people are like, that's disgusting? I don't Guilty know pleasure. I don't have anything that's disgusting. I don't like weird foods, but I love bad food. I am oh. the fast food queen. I'm <laughs> that's something queen. we've really bonded over. Yeah, I'm like, I love a, a happy meal. I love McDonald's. I love Pop Tarts. I love like the boxed mac and cheese. We like, scammed our I way into that. some <laughs> get <laughs> polo. <laughs> polo. Is it Poyo or Polo? Poyo. Poyo, sorry. I'm so mm-hmm. gringo Australian. Um <laughs> El Poyo gift cards, which I still need to use mine, by the way. I think I still have a little bit left on mine, but I've used it for sure. Oh, we can God, have I a day. Well you, you, you went viral. You hit over a million views. It's, it was like over two. It oh, really? went over like, yeah, it went over like two million. Isn't that so I don't annoying know why. when, I mean, not on that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, I'll post like a flyer for work or something work related. No engagement. A work recap. No one cares. Post some really dumb shit. Boom. 
why guaranteed just, lots of visibility it's it's always so random it's so random I'm like ugh. happens every time so yeah. what do you have coming up as we wrap that we can support you with um new season of she her they my podcast is coming so excited for that a lot of questions about super that super excited oh yeah yeah I'm really excited um I before because I, I did the whole thing myself the first season which I'm still doing most of this myself um but I burnt the fuck out yeah so now I've kind of set things up in a way where I have a little bit more support like I have an intern and I have templates for things um so I can be more consistent and not burn out. So I'm really excited about that and to be more consistent with it and have, have this cool little community. And I'm also expanding um, the guests that we have, like the, the, I don't know, the types of guests we have. So it'll be, originally it was LGBTQ women in music, mm-hmm. but now it's going to be people who are from different backgrounds. Um, everybody's mainly got some kind of marginalized identity aspect to them but interesting careers interesting identities just doing things outside of the box and yeah I'm psyched yeah love that excited for the return yeah Yeah. cool well on that note we're going to love and leave you thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your personal stories with us and please Guys, make sure you head down to the description and we will include a link. Uh, we, we will include resources and links on how you can support everything that's happening in Iran. That's all from us. Ciao for now. Thanks so much for listening to Unhinged. And if you have excellent taste and enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe and leave me a loving review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at It's Amrit and submit those weekly questions for our iconic guests. I'll see you next time. Ciao for now.